Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Saturday, February 25th, 2023. It's been 3,286 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014, and 367 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission— to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of targeted attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Second, We assess that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Third, despite receiving fresh ammunition, we maintain the infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Russian Ministry of Defense is fomenting unrest on and off the battlefield there is a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Fifth, we assess that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. Sixth, we assess that Russia's failed campaign targeting electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure will continue, despite the increasing limits on precision weapons. And finally, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv, where the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported Khryanikivka was shelled throughout the day, and an airstrike hit Ukrainian positions. And that's basically it. 
So, let's move on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhiy Haidai reported that in some parts of occupied Luhansk, cellular internet service was disabled to prevent information on Russian troop movements and losses from being shared. Haidai also reported that some of the Russian reserve units in Kremina had been withdrawn. We can't confirm the report, but we can confirm that Russian attempts to push in the Liman direction have been entirely ineffective. In the Svatova operational direction, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions in Novoselivsk were shelled and there was light fighting, with Russian troops supported by the VKS continuing east of Stelmachivka. In the Kremina operational area, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported offensive actions near Ploshanka, Makievka, and Chervonopopivka. Mercenary millblogger War Gonzo reported that Russian forces attempted to advance on Makievka but were unsuccessful. Orgonzo also reported an attempted Russian advance on Terny, with the GSAFU and Russian MOD reporting that fighting continued near Dibrova. Governor Haidai reported that up to three Russian companies attempted to advance out of Kremina and suffered heavy losses of up to 70 soldiers before retreating. Further south, positional fighting between squads and DRG units continued in the Serebriansky woods. In the Lysychansk operational area, attacks continued on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported that two rockets fired by HIMARS hit Russian-occupied Perevolsk. No other information was available at the time of recording, and the LNR has tightened operational security. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, the GSAFU reported that the 2nd Army Corps of the LNR renewed attacks on Ukrainian positions in Verknokomyanskye. Orgonzo claimed PMC Wagner attempted to advance on Vesele from Yakovlivka, and Russian and Ukrainian sources reported a failed attempt by Russian troops to advance on Fedorivka. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner made repeated attempts to advance on Rozdolivka. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian troops in Saku Ivanceti were shelled. So, there haven't been any claims of a Ukrainian advance, and the hamlet is difficult to defend. It is more likely that Sako Ivanceti has turned into an unoccupied no-man's land. Southwest of Solidar, PMC Wagner renewed attacks to the east of Zaleznyanske, but could not advance. In the Bakhmut operational area, PMC Wagner captured Berhivka and shared graphic photos of dead Ukrainian forces. From Berhivka, Wagner was attempting to advance west toward Dubovo-Vasilivka, while continuing attacks on Yehidne. We adjusted the map to expand the gray zone west to the edge of Dubovo-Vasilivka and further south toward Yehidne. Intense positional fighting continued in the eastern parts of Bakhmut. We reviewed and geolocated several videos showing that the line of conflict has not changed in the last 24 hours. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, 
Russian troops supported by PMC Wagner were held at their current defensive position south of Ivanivske and along the Seversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal in the direction of Chasivyar. Further south, PMC Wagner continued its attempts to establish positions west of the Seversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal with another failed advance on Delivka. Kramatorsk was hit by an S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack. The missile struck in a lightly populated area near some homes, causing minor damage. In southwest Donetsk, the 1st Army Corps continued attacking a broad area. In the Avdiivka operational area, attacks continued in the direction of Krasnohorivka, with Russian forces blocked from advancing through Vesele. The sustained attacks on Krasnohorivka are slowly advancing toward the plateau west of the H-20 highway. South of Avdiivka, Wargonzo reported that the 1st Army Corps tried a direct attack on Avdiivka from Spartak that was unsuccessful. Attacks out of Vodyana, attempting to push Ukrainian troops out of the northern high ground and trying to flank Pervomaisky, continued. Russian forces continued sustained attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued in the city's center. Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor Pavlo Kirilenko reported that the city's remains were heavily shelled. A geolocated video showed continued fighting near Druzhby Avenue, indicating the line of conflict hasn't changed since November. The Russian 1st Army Corps advanced to a pig farm just east of Pobida, where they were able to hold the strategic stronghold for 24 hours. A Ukrainian counterattack supported by intense artillery fire destroyed four BMP-3 infantry fighting vehicles and two tanks. Russian forces were forced to retreat, enabling Ukrainian troops to re-secure the lost positions. In the Wuhledar operational area, military tradition of the self-declared, sort-of-annexed Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, continued with the daily and perpetually unsuccessful attack on Novomikhailivka. The GSAFU and Russian MOD reported that Russian and Ukrainian troops traded artillery fire near Wuhledar, while Wargonzo claimed that Russian troops launched an attack on the Mikhilska Dachas. Quick sidebar, if the podcast feels like it's on repeat, it's because Russian troops appear to be convinced that repeating the exact same mistakes will eventually deliver a positive result. The GSAFU and Wargonzo reported that Russian forces attacked Prechestivka without success, while the Russian MOD only reported shelling. In Mariupol, HIMAR strikes continued, with an ammunition depot destroyed. Moving on to Zaporizhia. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, nor on the contingent of International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, inspectors who have not been permitted to leave. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported eight Black Sea fleet vessels on patrol, including the frigate Admiral Makarov, capable of launching up to eight caliber cruise missiles. Weather conditions are forecast to turn very unfavorable, with winds up to 25 meters per second or 55 miles per hour. 
On February 23rd, we expressed skepticism that the second highway lanes of the Kerch Strait Bridge had reopened, as Russian Deputy Prime Minister Marat Khusnalin claimed. Well, the bridge did reopen, but only symbolically, because of the one-year mark of Russia's special military operation. Russian state media agency TASS reported that the recently repaired second highway section was closed at the request of the Ministry of Emergency Situations, with no timeline for reopening. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out 83 fire missions, nine on the city of Kherson, wounding one. A hostel housing families that lost their homes from earlier shelling was attacked, causing significant damage. Residents moved into the inner hallways during the attack, preventing injuries. A grad rocket struck a market, setting the building on fire, and Russian forces continued to shell Berislav. On the east bank of the Dnipro, Russian positions were heavily shelled. In Olishki, an explosion was so loud it was heard in Kherson, followed by a large, visible fire. There was also a large fire after a counter-battery strike in Holopristan. Along the Dnipro, Novokakhovka and Kakhovka continued to be shelled, and Russian mercenary mill-blogger Rybar reported Heroiske on the Kinburn Spit was also shelled. In Russian-occupied Chaplinka, a 24-hour curfew was established through February 25th, with no reason given. In Dnipropetrovsk, Nikopol, Mirova, and Marchenets were attacked with the heaviest shelling since December, with over a hundred artillery shells and grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems striking the region. Dozens of homes and businesses were damaged, along with three high schools. On the Russian front, the border villages of Popovolezachi in Kursk and Shebikino in Bilgorod were shelled, with no injuries reported. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Moldova's foreign ministry said there is no evidence to back Russia's claims of an imminent attack on Transnistria. Quote, Moldova's government refutes these statements and considers them unfounded, made with the aim of manipulating public opinion. The security situation in the region is stable, end quote. Moldovan and Transnistrian officials reported they were in contact yesterday, and Moldova once again called for Russia to leave the nation. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Russian Federation claimed the Russian MOD had detected a, quote, significant buildup of Ukrainian troops and military vehicles near the Ukrainian-Transnistrian border. They claimed that artillery had been deployed to firing positions and a, quote, unprecedented increase in the flights of uncrewed aircraft of the armed forces of Ukraine, end quote, over the territory of Transnistria, which is unrecognized by any nation. The Kremlin warned the United States, NATO, and Ukraine not to take any further action, adding that, quote, any actions that pose a threat to the Russian garrison in Transnistria will be considered, in accordance with international law, 
as an attack on the Russian Federation. End quote. The United States Department of Defense announced a $2 billion military aid package to Ukraine. The package will not be drawn down from existing inventory, but will pay defense contractors to provide future material support. More specifics are in the full situation report on Patreon, but of note, the package includes Cyberlux K-8, Altius 600, and Jump-20 unmanned aircraft solutions, and an unspecified quantity of Switchblade 600 anti-vehicle loitering drones. Cyberlux is best known for making high-end quadcopter drones for mounting cameras for movie production. Their website mentions having a government and military division, but provides no additional information. The package shows a dramatic shift in U.S. support and an acknowledgement that drones are a battlefield force multiplier. While personally delivering the first four Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine, Prime Minister of Poland, Mateusz Morawiecki, announced that within a, quote, few days, 60 Polish PT-91 Twardy main battle tanks will also arrive. The PT-91 is a Polish exclusive upgrade of the Soviet-era T-72MB. The changes include a more powerful modern engine attached to an upgraded transmission, modern fire control and communication systems, and upgraded ERA armor. Sweden announced it would transfer German-produced Iris-T anti-aircraft systems, American-produced Hawk air defense systems, and 10 Leopard 2A5 tanks with upgraded armor and added grenade launchers to Ukraine. Canada announced it was doubling the number of Leopard 2 tanks it would provide to Ukraine from 4 to 8. Ottawa also announced it was providing another 5,155mm artillery rounds. Germany is also increasing the number of Leopard 2 tanks it will provide from 14 to 18. British Spartan armored personnel carriers have arrived in Ukraine, and a video showed a large convoy of British Mastiff 6x6 mine-resistant ambush protection patrol vehicles staged a convoy to Ukraine. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said China had not supplied lethal weapons to Russia, quote, we have not seen actual delivery of lethal aid, but what we have seen are signs and indications that China may be planning and considering to supply military aid to Russia. End quote. Speaking of supplies, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. In the Russian Caucasus, Stealth mobilization based on the September 21, 2022 partial mobilization decree and the creation of multiple Russian PMCs to compete with Wagner Group has led to the forced mobilization of conscription-aged men. Many of the mobilized are former or current convicts who will be released from their penal obligations if they, quote, voluntarily join. Colonel General and aspiring dentist Ramzan Don Don Kadyrov was awarded the Hero of the Chechen Republic. He created the award himself, and to great fanfare, gave himself the award. So, congratulations, I guess. Russian mill blogger Vladlin Tatarsky wrote that a Russian tank was destroyed and its commander killed when they had to stop and open the hatch so the tank commander could use a handheld secure digital radio. The tank was being monitored by a Ukrainian drone, 
which was suddenly given a target of opportunity. The IED fell straight through the open hatch, killing the commander instantly, wounding the rest of the crew, and setting the tank on fire. The commander was forced to open the hatch in the first place because many Russian tanks lack radio communications equipment, and portable radios won't work inside the metal structure. Tatarsky wrote, quote, Think about it. Equipment capable of destroying tanks is made in garages. We need to change our approach to the special military operation. A year has passed, after all. End quote. Tatarsky also wrote about the growing number of Russian troops refusing to fight, especially Mobics. Quote, I'm not talking about all the mobilized, I'm talking about many. So many that it has become a problem. There is only one reason for such behavior. People were simply deceived. They were told they would not go to war, but would protect something away from the front. There are more reasons, of course, but this is the main one. End quote. In the Rostov Federal District, police are looking for four soldiers from the 1st Army Corps Somalia Division who deserted and fled to Russia. Original Russia. Local authorities consider the men armed fugitives and report they have machine guns and ammunition. PMC Wagner defector Andriy Medvedev, no relation to the Russian politician, was arrested in Oslo on February 22nd after getting into a drunken fight outside Andy's pub as you do. When police arrived to arrest Medvedev, he resisted and kicked one of the officers, earning him a third charge of, quote, violence against a public servant, end quote. Medvedev fled from his duties with PMZ Wagner and crossed into Norway on foot in late January. He has applied for political asylum and has offered to testify about war crimes committed by Wagner. His lawyer said the situation was caused by a cultural and language misunderstanding. Rinaldo Nazaro, the founder of the neo-Nazi paramilitary group known as The Base, was outed by his daughter as an agent of the Russian FSB. Nazaro, a former employee of the FBI and Pentagon, moved to St. Petersburg, Russia in 2018 and is allied with the Russian imperial movement. In 2019, he bought off-grid property near Spokane, Washington, to use as a training camp. Members of the base were arrested on January 18, 2020, for plotting to derail chemical trains and poison water supplies in the United States. Among the arrested was Patrick Jordan Matthews, a Canadian national and member of Atomwaffen. Atomwaffen members have received direct military training from the Russia Imperial Movement in St. Petersburg, Russia, resulting in the United States declaring RIM a terrorist organization in April 2020. The two and a third individual were convicted and sentenced to nine years in prison. Nazaro has been suspected of being a Russian agent, and he created the base the same month he moved to St. Petersburg. The United Kingdom, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia consider the group a terrorist organization. The situation came to light when Nazaro was challenged for not fighting in Ukraine. You know, where Russia claims they're, quote, denazifying while using literal Nazis. Whatever the plan is, it's effing bonkers. (laughs) 
In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's brief report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Russian forces attacked a hospital in the city of Kherson again, causing heavy damage to the oncology and maternity departments. There were 120 patients in the facility at the time of the attack, with no injuries reported. In Vodolahi, a minibus carrying civilians from Zhuravka to Sumy was hit by a Russian anti-tank missile fired from across the border. Four were injured, including the driver. All remained hospitalized for various injuries, including concussions. In geopolitical news, yesterday, Dmitry Kuleba, Ukraine's Minister of Foreign Affairs, said that Ukraine was studying China's peace proposal, saying, quote, We saw the final version of the plan last night. We agree with some of its elements, but there is at least one element that we disagree with, the one concerning unilateral sanctions. Overall, it is an interesting document. We are studying it, and we have to go through it and make our own conclusions. End quote. Kuleba praised China for putting, quote, its own position on this war, end quote, in the public sphere. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky expressed his desire to meet with Chinese leader Xi Jinping, saying, quote, I plan to meet with Xi Jinping, and I believe this will benefit our states and security in the world. We have large trade with China, and the issue is not only the war. The issue is that we are a state interested in preserving economic relations. End quote. NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg expressed more skepticism about the Chinese plan, saying, quote, China doesn't have much credibility because they have not been able to condemn the illegal invasion of Ukraine. End quote. Stoltenberg reminded reporters at a press conference in Estonia that Beijing had signed an agreement with Russian President Vladimir Putin only days before the invasion. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.